0: Where's
1: Fielder? He's gone to the dogs.
0: Well, it's certainly good to be with a fella that I got to sit down with face to face for the first time at the recent Autumn Oaks, but a guy that I've been friends with on Facebook and I've watched his post, and several of my friends are friends of his, and he's a longtime coon hunter from the state of Indiana that I'm very Happy to have on the program today, Bruce Jansen. How are you doing, Bruce? doing good well, that's good. We're doing good down here in the swamp too. We sat we survived that hurricane and uh came pretty much unscathed uh, got a lot of rain around. I haven't been back out to the woods to see just how much water we're going to have to deal with but uh is autumn coming to? the heartland there in indiana Uh, i see a few leaves
1: starting to turn um, this week until uh, tomorrow i think it's been pretty warm it's supposed to cool down quite a bit tomorrow
0: well that's good we've had a little respite here in florida with the weather Um, in the evenings it's cooling down into the low 60s upper 50s Back oh my goodness first time first time we had uh i had a, a fire out on uh in the fire ring out there and the, we sat the wife and i sat last night and and uh kind of enjoyed the cooler weather you know we have so much heat and humidity down here but they tell us it's going to pick back up a little bit by the weekend but yeah i miss that fall in the midwest that's for sure um you've got about another week uh not week but a month or so before your coon season opens though don't you
1: yeah november 8th okay i never yeah. uh, never paid that much attention to that i Never had many off nights.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, kn- I know that feeling when I lived up there where coon hunting was good. I tried to go every night that I could, for sure. Well, we talked at Autumn Oaks, and you were on the episode, I think the first, uh, the part one of the interviews that I did at Autumn Oaks, and we got a little background there and all, but uh, you're there in Otterbine, is that right? Otterbein. Otterbein. Okay, all right, and that's near Lafayette, right, or Lafayette, yeah, how close. do you say it? Do you pronounce uh, it Lafayette or Lafayette? Lafayette. Lafayette, I got you, all right. Now, where Everything you runs in? together here. I got you, I got you. You grew up there? Bruce? Yes, mm-hmm. I,
1: uh, I live about three miles from where I was born.
0: That's amazing. You know, I've always kind of envied people that get to stay, you know, where the roots are and all. Uh, do you live on a, in the country, Bruce? Or Yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. Can you let a dog run loose where you are? No. Okay.
1: I live on a county line It's blacktop. I got you. They, they run through it pretty fast. Yeah, I imagine. That's flat country, isn't it? Where Pretty I live is uh, yeah. down south of Otterburn, where I do most of my hunting, there's hills and hollers.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's I kind of like that a little bit of variation in the in well, the I don't terrain. like it
1: as much as I used to.
0: <laughs> well, we talked about it on at How old are you, Bruce? 73. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I got you about three years. I'm going to have a birthday here next week. Happy birthday. Oh, well, th- thank you. I I was looking at some history, uh, some family genealogy and all, and I see that my grandfather on my mother's side passed away at 76, so I'm, at least I'm going to make it, I think, uh, that far. And my dad's father, I believe, was 73, but— I'm clinging to my mother's roots. She lived to be 100, and uh, my, oh, da- wow. my dad, 88. So I, hopefully I got a few more turn, cut loose, turn looses or however you want to say it. Oh, me. Well, I tell you what, it gets away fast, though, doesn't it? Yep, yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Well, you, the reason that, Besides just being a good guy to talk to, the reason I wanted to talk to you is uh, pick your brain a little bit about, you know, you've been uh, real successful at starting young dogs and having good dogs. And down through the years, I know you, just to do a little name dropping here, I know that you trained dogs or started dogs for Russ Beller uh, a few years ago. Uh, and, of course, everybody knows about Russ and Pac-Man and Stryker and all that, you know, world championships and all the things that he accomplished. But uh, uh, let's go back a little bit and just start up this coon hunting journey that you had. You, you started out where? I started out what? You started out on this coon hunting journey where? And how? And how'd you get in into uh, it?
1: My brother-in-law coon
0: hunted then, and uh, I went with him a couple of
1: times. And, and then I bought a puppy from him uh, that was off of uh, uh, Oklahoma spot. Wow, that's going back. Yeah. yeah. He was pretty much a natural, but I still did some things wrong, and I I never did that again. I don't think. I'm sure I've made mistakes, but uh, uh, that's a good pup, good litter of pup.
0: Yeah. Well, when did it, I'm going to lay this label on you here, and uh, I don't know that that's agreeable to you or whatever, but when did you become a student of uh, training coon dogs? I think that's probably that first
1: dog. Can uh, you yeah. before that I had a uh a couple of bird bird dogs uh and I learned quite a bit uh from them one of them uh I got mad at her and I knew that was a bad idea and and I put her up for 2 days and before or two or 3 days before I got her out again and and what I'd uh, been unhappy with her about her, was gone. And uh, so I tried that with other dogs when uh, we had a disagreement about something I was trying to teach, and I put them up for two or three days, and and many times uh, the problem had disappeared. She had figured it out somehow, or they had.
0: I'm not sure that's true, but it worked for me. Well, I think that it is, and I've heard trainers uh, and people, you know, that like to start pups and work with young dogs and try to take them from that pup, you know, maybe a well-bred pup to a coon dog. Talk about doing that, giving them a a time out kind of reminds me of my grandmother. I think she invented that there in Tennessee when my cousins and I'd get a little rowdy. She'd put us in one of those straight back cane bottom chairs that she had there in the dining room, and so you sit there until you you uh, figure out, you know what what you're doing wrong, and uh, maybe that's uh, it. Seems to work with dogs, and I'm not sure how they figure that out. I mean, do they just forget it uh, that behavior, or uh, I don't know? Do you have any any idea? Um.
1: I think the last experience they had makes an impression on them. Uh-huh. Uh, like if uh, if I caught a dog running a deer and got them corrected to suit me, I usually put that one up and hunted a different one. Because uh, I, I, I learned... Uh, in them bird dogs. that uh, The last thing that happened was, made a big impression on them. And uh, the number one thing, I, you know, I was only 16 years old with that first bird dog. And uh, I learned, and I had a bit of a temper. Right. And I learned you, you can't train a dog mad. And I don't know that I, I ever let a dog make me mad again. Unhappy,
0: but not man. Well, I think we, uh, you and I, have a, a lot of a lot in common there. As a young man, I was impatient. My wife would probably tell you I still am at times, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, and uh, you know, and I I knew when I would lose my temper with the dog that you know I was doing wrong. There was just something inside me that said that dog does not understand why you're upset and why you're doing what you're doing. And until he can understand what you're trying to teach him, you know, you're doing more harm than you are good. Yep, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember mother watching me through the kitchen window one time trying to train a dog to stand on a bench and I was young and the dog was not cooperating and I was getting heavy handed with the dog and she stepped to the back door and she says, if I see you do that again, that's going to be the last time you fool with one of those dogs. (laughs) So she had some pretty good advice and I won't say that I never lost my temper with them. Uh, but it's easy to do with dogs. And for some reason we think, well, I mean, there can be that mentality that it's just a dog, you know, but once you've been around dogs for the number of years that you and I have been, we realize that, yeah, they're dogs, but they're very intelligent beings and they have emotions and, and, uh, and memory yeah, that's, and that's all a that. big
1: deal right there. A, a smart dog is easier to mess up than a, a, a lower intelligent dog because they they dogs don't think like people, and people train dogs like people think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you get a smart dog, and you can you can make a mistake easier.
0: Yeah, that's true, and they kind of process it and. You know, they form their own attitudes and and behaviors based on the way we act sometimes, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I want, for the sake of the people that listen to this podcast, and there are quite a few, you know, I always like. I was just reading something the other day. You can sit up and li- sit and listen to a speaker give an eloquent speech. He's articulate. He can hit all the high points, pop, pop, pop. But if you don't take something away from what that guy said that helps you or teaches you something, it's been a waste of time. Yes, it is. Has. He hasn't got his, you know, he hasn't accomplished anything. So what I'd like to do with this podcast now and going forward is to be able to help somebody out there that's trying to make a coon dog, uh, trying to make a diamond out of a lump of coal, I guess, if <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better term. But uh, and that's why I definitely wanted you on the program today because. I believe you found some of the keys to doing that. So you started out training bird dogs. Uh, Did you basically get a book from somebody or watch a videotape or had somebody in the community or how'd that go? No, I went to,
1: uh, I grew up on a farm and we had a few people come out uh, to pheasant hunt, a lot of pheasants then. And I, uh, some of them let me go along, and I watched their dogs and seen things I liked and more things I didn't like and didn't understand why, but uh, uh, I knew I didn't like that in a dog. And uh, I learned learned some stuff watching that, but uh, then I got my first one when I was 16 and uh, just kind of had an idea of what they uh, were supposed to do and uh, did what it took to make them that way.
0: And at that time, I know when I went to Michigan in 1983, there were still a few pheasants there in southern Michigan. I guess the bad blizzard of, what, 79 or somewhere thereabout, they had a real bad blizzard there in Michigan.
1: We had it too.
0: Yeah, and that kind of really knocked the population down. And then I think the idea with the DDT and the deal of of cultivating from ditch to ditch instead of leaving cover and all that, all those things came together to kind of uh, stress the pheasant, you know. And he kind of – there's still pheasants up there, but nothing compared, I guess, to what they were years ago. Mm Mm-hmm all of that and the introduction of uh, coyotes in our country yeah made a difference. yeah the coyotes i'm sure make a huge difference on that
1: topic uh, about a half hour ago
0: we had a coyote in our
1: yard out here we got an old junk apple tree and he came out of the cornfield and uh, was nibbling on apples crippled huh. up in front leg and uh, he didn't seem to care if anybody was watching him or not. He was 40 yards from the house.
0: Well, you know, I think they lose their fear of humans maybe. Of course, he could just be hungry. I, I don't know. But, Bruce, here where I live, is, I'm in a retirement community in West Florida, north of Tampa. It's a 55-and-older community. Uh, it was at one time a golf course community, but they phased that out. And it's, those areas are just green belt areas and all. We've got coyotes everywhere down here. And I live on a, you know, in a subdivision with a wide street and sidewalks on either side and One day at three o'clock in the afternoon, there's a coyote walking right down the center of the street, and the people around here have their little fluffy dogs, you know, their little Pomeranians and all that, and and these coyotes snatch them up like candy, you know. You got to watch. So they're very adaptable, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. And the older gentleman that I hunted with for many years in Michigan talked. Tell me when there were, you know, were none up there, and uh, you know, in southern Michigan, and no possums either, and uh, how all that has changed. Have you got the armadillos up your way yet?
1: No, uh, probably uh, seventy miles south of here. A friend of mine, yeah, uh, saw one last
0: winter. Yeah, I wonder why they head north, all these species. I guess it's better feed, maybe. I don't know. Um, that may be
1: the reason. I don't know why armadillos would come up here.
0: Right, right. Well, we've got them down here. There's plenty of them, you know. Oh, yeah. So far, I haven't had a dog that's wanted to fool with them. But once a dog gets bad after them, you got something to to deal with. Because they, if they like them, they really like them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back here now. So you started training the bird dogs. And uh, and I imagine, you were you quail and pheasant hunting with those dogs? Yes. Uh-huh. So you had some bobwhite quail at that time?
1: Yeah, at that time, there was a lot of quail.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fun to hunt. I've done some of that in Florida and Georgia and enjoyed it. Well, okay. So then, when so you said you had uh, an uncle that coon hunted? No, he he was my brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah, I married my
1: oldest sister.
0: I got gotcha. you. And about I probably old...
1: went with him maybe three times, and uh, and the bug bit me.
0: Hmm. Did you have several coon back at that time? Uh yes. Mm-hmm. Uh
1: probably the peak in my opinion, was uh, uh, late 70s. We had even more then than we do now, and we have Mm. plenty now.
0: Yeah. Well, that was kind of when I got involved in traveling a little bit, you know, with UKC, started in 78 with being a field rep for the World Championship. And then, you know, those years I traveled a lot in Indiana, And I always thought, always called Indiana a Coon Zoo, (laughs) because there always seemed to be lots of them there. Well, uh, how did you get, well, you know, so many of these podcasts, well, how'd you get started? Well, I had a carbide light, or I had a lantern, and I went in a Model T, (laughs) and all that sort of thing, but. I guess I'd like to dig a little deeper. I mean, when did you start studying these dogs? Um,
1: I'd have to say immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was training that first bird dog I got, I happened to win a mutt up at the grocery store that was probably uh, part border collie, but uh, pretty small. And I was training that... uh, uh bird dog to to woe and everything i could think of to teach it and uh that little dog was was out there and within minutes of when i tried to show the bird dog something that little dog knew it uh, better than the bird dog Uh, but he was really smart but uh that that's uh, i immediately learned that jealousy is a great training tool because all my attention was on the bird dog and uh, and the little dog seen what i wanted her to do and he just did it
0: did uh, it because so was, he wanted was, to yeah i'm sorry I,
1: I was lucky to learn that uh, jealousy is a great training tool anything that you're trying to teach a dog if you can introduce jealousy in there, they'll learn it a lot quicker.
0: You know, uh, do you think that num- goes?
1: Num- oh, go ahead, go ahead, please. Number one is when you uh, first ready to hunt a young dog by themselves. Uh, that it's a great way to get them to do that. I uh, uh, somewhere way back i don't remember how i met randy smith but uh i bought a uh, young female from him that was running and treeing uh, and that's about all she did and uh she was out of thunder's wild cloud all right and i uh, hunted her about a week after i got her and i said well heck this thing's ready to go by herself so i uh, took her and a dog that I had then named Scout and I took her to the first place and and she went hunting like a rocket with another dog and I uh, dropped her out and she took off and went about 20-25 feet and realized she was by herself and skidded to a halt and turned around and came right back so I put her back in the truck and dropped Scout loose and got lucky, and he just went in there 100 yards and treated a coon. She just about destroyed that box. I went and got Scout and brought him back and put him in the truck and drove down the road a half a mile and got uh, that little female. I called her Clyde. Uh, Randy had Clydette for a name, and I I wasn't going to do that. So She might have been the first uh, <laughs> uh, transgender. I called her <laughs> I called her Clyde, Yeah, uh, but I drove down the road a half a mile and, and cut her loose, and she never came back again. Hmm. Left, left in a dead run and wasn't coming back. She wasn't going back in that dog box,
0: <laughs> and that's worked on yeah. a hundred of them. Well, we got one that's just the opposite. She loves the dog box. We tried to make her jealous by leaving her in the dog box, and she's just as happy as a pig in mud to be in that dog box. And, you know, I don't want this session to turn out to it where I'm trying to get a lot of free advice, not free, but, I mean, you know, unsolicited advice. I guess it would be solicited advice from you. But at any rate, I agree with what you're saying, and I've used that before. And you and I talked about this with this very dog that I'm talking about, about maybe tying her back and and some of those things. You know, jealousy, I don't want to leave that topic because uh, I think there's a lot of applications to jealousy in a dog. And see if you agree with me in, uh, in this. And any time you disagree, I I believe I know you well enough that you'll you'll tell me that you do. Um, a lot of times we talk about these dogs that are hunt sour. They get to the point, you know, they've been put in a lot of hunts. They've been dragged around. Maybe it's in a PKC state race or. Whatever you know, or they they're hunted a lot by themselves, maybe, and they're used to treeing all the coons, and they're the boss dog, and then they go out there and they get in a few hunts, and all of a sudden these other dogs are treeing the coons, and they don't want to back the dog, which most guys don't want them to back anymore, but rather than go on hunting, they just get out there and sulk around because they're jealous. Have you ever seen that? sure. Yeah,
1: going to see it a lot more with the way they're training dogs now. Yeah. Uh, And another thing they do is a jealous tree over there, 80, 100 yards, Mm. and not have
0: nothing. Exactly. I have seen that one in the plot breed, I guess, more than any other. Um, I don't know what it is, whether the plot tends to be more of a, kind of a one person dog, you know they kind of bond with you more. But I've seen that in my own person you know my personal dogs uh, where they would and then I did see it with a Walker female one time, but that I think was was uh, instigated by a rough dog in the cast when she was young, just you know qualifying for super stakes. And ended up half hunt a late round, and with a dog that I knew was questionable. But I understand the part about you know being maybe run off a tree or whatever. But just that jealous factor. What do you what do you think causes that? I mean, how do all dogs have that c- capacity, or is it more so in some dogs than others? What do you think?
1: Well, they're all different uh several several things can cause it if uh, these guys try to make a loner out of a dog that that really don't have much uh there was a dog in my area that they tried to make a loner and he had he had no independence once and in that once at all uh mm-hmm. and uh he was a pretty decent dog about tree and cone, but uh, he was a pack dog and they tried mm-hmm. to make a loner out of him and they uh, they caused all kinds of uh, different problems. He'd jealous tree, or he'd go out there and pout, like you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, but uh, pressure, uh, I learned that in bird dogs too, because uh, you got to be careful how you uh, correct a bird dog, because bird dogs to me is all about style and ability you got to have the ability but if they don't have style i'm not going to like them you're right mm-hmm. and you take the style out of them so you can do the same thing with a cone dog um mm-hmm. i know of several that uh putting pressure on them keep them from uh, covering other dogs it, it puts them on the edge because they can get away from that other dog quicker <coughs> um And I don't want mine on the edge, but uh, they they seem to like it. But uh, every coon I ever treed in my life, except for one, was on a tree. So the more trees you got around, the more likely you are to tree a coon, other than right now when you got cornfield coons. But that's a different story. But uh, pressure, you got to be careful with that pressure or you'll cause a when you stop one thing in a dog, you almost always cause something else. And you need to think about whether what you're going to cause is better or worse than what you got.
0: Every action causes an equal yep. reaction. Yeah. Well, for one, for sure, these dogs are complex. And it, it's not an easy thing, and it's always amazed me how you know you can get one to start off like a house of fire, and then it seems like something goes haywire with them, and, and you know that's
1: usually from over hunting a pup. If you get a you get a pup that starts out like you just said a house of fire, it's hard to leave them home. Right and that's where the hunting them a couple of nights leave them up two or three or four and hunting them a couple more i always tried to hunt them two nights in a row uh right from the start uh, mm-hmm. and uh, but i had one that was uh man he was just something else and i was hunting him three or four nights a week with two or three day nights off in between and And somebody hunted with me, and they just had to have that pup. By that time, he was nine months old. And season started right then, and he had to have that pup, and I was bad to sell dogs. Uh, Somebody offered me money. Well, they got him start a season hunting every night, and that pup never got an inch better than what he was at nine months old. Right. And he should have. He was just progressing right along. They they wore that pup out, and he never, I mean, he was never a bad dog, but he never got any better.
0: Well, I, I think I, well, I know it did. I saw this a lot back in my PKC days with the pup races, um, how you get this pup, you know, trying to get a pup ticket to go in a truck. Yep. And you just hunt, pound that pup night after night after night somewhere, yep. you know until you just absolutely blew them up, you know. they just. And then I've also seen dogs, and I won't mention any names, but I, I do recall a breeder that had some exceptional puppies that started out three or four months old would do things you wouldn't believe a pup would do as far as running in tree and tree in a coon. But by the time they were a year old, they were never any better than they were when they were three, four, five months old. It seemed like they peaked real early, and then they just never progressed. And I, it could be what you're saying. Maybe they were hunted too hard. I bet
1: it was. Uh, most most problems dogs have are man-made.
0: Well, you mentioned that before when we talked, and uh, and uh, uh, I'm afraid you're right. Well, these pups can be such head scratchers, you know, and you just really, unless you've really studied them uh, for years like you have, uh, you don't know what, what's the right thing to do. And I get a lot of mail uh, through various sources about people wanting to know what to do with a pup that's doing this, that, or something else, you know. I don't have all the answers, for sure. I have my methods that I've used down through the years, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes they didn't, you know. But uh, so you go, all right, I'm going to give you the best bred puppy that I can find. How old do you want that pup to be when I give you that pup
1: well preferably uh, I want them old enough for my for what I like I want them old enough that they got a good mouth and I was that way even back when I could hear good and I can't hear very good at all now Uh, but uh, three or four months old would be ideal so they, everything they learn is from me.
0: Right. Get you want them to learn everything. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bruce. I'm interrupting you.
1: Getting a dog in from somebody else, uh, which I did a lot back in the day. Um, the first two weeks is is um, always the dog finding out what what I expect. I've never, even before I had a bad back, I never let a dog walk out in front of me. They walk back there beside me or they're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but they, they pick that up pretty easy. But but when somebody else has let them drag them through the woods and you, I get that dog here, that don't make me happy for a while.
0: No, there's going to be a, a lot of confrontation there until you get when that somebody, sorted out.
1: Somebody's paying me to to hunt a dog, and they call me after the end of the first week. How's he doing? I said, Well, I haven't taken him yet. I'm trying to teach him to lead. I'm not taking him until he leads. So uh, yeah,
0: and yeah. that's the
1: problem with hunting dogs for other people. They they want results right now, and that's why I quit doing that. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm kind of. Uh, I try not to make anything stupid mistakes
0: and and you can't do it in a hurry, well, that's for sure and while you're talking about that leading situation. I've never been one that minded to go get somebody's dog and bring it back for them, you know if if circumstances required it, but man, sometimes that you know that gets to be a real chore just trying to get that dog to stay behind you, you know. Or stay back and I've uh, that's one thing that I've always demanded in my dogs <laughs> too you know I, but you know unfortunately a lot of guys they just go go to the kennel and they either just turn the dog loose and let him go jump in the box or they let that dog drag him to the dog box they pick him up put him in the box you know and then Every tree they make, it's, uh, you know, dragging him off the tree, dragging him out there. And and that's hard on the dog. The dog is exerting an awful lot of energy, pulling and hassling, you know. uh, That's just a pet peeve of mine. You just happened to touch on it.
1: Well, dogs are like kids. They're happier if they have guidelines and limitations.
0: Um, yeah, I guess
1: that's just the way it is.
0: Yeah, it's they need structure in their lives, and if they're if they're everything you know, if you're happy, then then they're happy. I, I I get that. So you want this pup to be about three or four months old. What you, and you're going to teach him to lead and and do the things around the house that make him yeah. a good citizen, so you can enjoy the dog, not I have a case of heartburn every time you got. Was that right? Uh,
1: yeah, it's it's also uh, even more important that that they enjoy me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you ever have issues with pups getting spoiled after you? No,
1: not as you long, long as you got guidelines. Okay.
0: You want to as talk about that a little them. bit?
1: Um. <coughs> not jumping on you, leading, um, coming when they're called. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i not, I don't believe in, and I admire the people <coughs> that um, tone break their dogs and come back from a half mile away. Uh, I'm not going to do it, mainly because I'm going to go to that dog. When I turn them loose, wherever they end up, I'll get to them. All right. But the other thing is, I always want to keep that tone button in my back pocket. I might need it for something more important.
0: Right. So you don't so, use it just as a matter of every day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any whim you have that you want that dog or want his attention, you tone him. Yeah. yeah. I see that. I I watch some videos. Uh, and again, I'm not going to mention which ones and all, but some videos on YouTube of dogs that, you know, were big game dogs hunting bear, you know, and it just didn't want them to get into a certain territory that run the bear, just tone them, get them back, you know. It's just like it's just a convenience thing, you know. Uh, and I, if I'm hearing you you're right, you're thinking more of the terms of that dog's getting near a highway. He's getting in a place where he's, he's not supposed to be or or something like that. Am I right?
1: Well, I'm not going to hunt near a highway. Yeah. Um, but getting where they're not supposed to be. Um, I've been yelled at a couple of times in over 50 years of hunting, but uh had one shot <coughs> and they, um, uh, those dogs ran a coon across the field, up to a house and treed on the uh, guy's crib. Mm. Uh, just uh, once in a million, yeah, happening. I- I've uh, had dogs tree in the yard. Right. Uh, if there's a light on, I go to the house, and uh, some people weren't thrilled, but never had a problem in this country. Right. But but I've lived here all my life and. Mm-hmm. Most people know me, too. Yeah, that makes a that's, big difference. That's for a sure. big thing.
0: Absolutely. But uh,
1: the tone button, I really admire those guys that, that do it right. But then they, uh, I see the same guys quite often trying to use tone for something else, too. And that tone to come back to you, no matter where they're at, has to be absolute. So it can't really be used effectively for something else. All right, uh, right, and that—that's the second reason I don't do it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things the tone can be used for—a negative or a positive. But um, that—that's just. But mainly, it's just because I'm going to, them. if they get somewhere, and when I get in there around them, and I say here, and they can hear me. They better get over there. That's all I yeah. do is teach here. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and that only means one thing. It's one word and it means one thing. The tone, uh, just like shocking them, uh, they try to do five different things
0: with a shock. Mm-hmm. And, and expect the dog to know which one of those five things absolutely. they're that, they're doing at the people, time. Yeah, people
1: thinking like people instead of thinking like a dog.
0: All right, okay. I'll I, here. Here's a situation that I think goes right along with what you're saying. You teach a dog the tone to come back. Okay, to recall, as we say. Okay. Now you got a dog that all of a sudden he's decided that he's, he wants to load up too quick on trees. So you tone him when you hear him loading up on a tree when you know he's, let's just say it's been a short track. or You can tell by the sound of the track, whatever. You don't know, but you assume that that dog is just getting ready to, to, to slick tree on you, so you tone him, and he goes on. Now, if if you've taught either one of those things, he should do that action and not try to figure out, well, does he want me to come back or does he want me to leave this tree alone? Right. Does that, yeah. That's going along with what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah.
1: A tone, tone
0: to recall
1: has to be absolute. When they hear that tone, they come to you. So if you talk, try to use the tone for the situation you're talking about, the dog ain't going to understand. There ain't a dog alive or ever been alive
0: that can understand that distinction. Exactly. And, you know, th- this just conjures up all kinds of thoughts. Back before the days that we had uh, uh, electronic collars and all, Guys would whip a dog with a switch for not hunting, okay? And and he'd come in, he'd whip him. Then he decides he wants the dog and it's time to go home, and he calls the dog and the dog comes in and he, he whips him for coming in. Or, or, you know, I mean, he's whipping the dog for different things, and the dog doesn't know the difference. He whips him to make him go hunting, and then when he doesn't come in, is what I'm trying to say, he whips him for that. You know, so the dog is like, I don't know (laughs) whether I'm getting whipped for coming in or for, for not coming in. Yeah,
1: I I can't tell you how many guys I've seen them whipping for coming and going, both.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 Well, a friend of mine uh, was relating a story to me hunting with a young hunter. And, you know, the guy was really getting rough with the dog. And I don't like to talk about that too much on this podcast because there are people that listen to these podcasts that are not our friends. And they're looking for things to use against us. And so if they can uh, paint coon hunters and, and animal abusers in this, with the same brush, they'll gladly do that. But, you know, this guy was just getting really rough with this dog. And he said, man, do you think that dog has the foggiest idea why you're upset with him? And why you're punishing him like that? He doesn't. He doesn't understand at all. And all you're doing is just taking your frustrations out on the dog. Is that right? Yeah.
1: They, uh, they, um, uh, with the anger thing, I found out uh, a cold-blooded switching is way more effective than a beating. Uh, hmm. They, you know, they got this thing all positive training now. <clears throat> I've never seen a dog in my life that was well trained without having some negative. Now, negative might be at. mm mm-hmm. right. A lot of times, a lot of times, that's all I have to do with any dog I've trained. Right. And you might have to switch one a little bit. Right. But there's some kind of negative training to every. Well-trained dog I've ever seen. People try to deny it. Uh, they talk about if a house dog gets up on the counter, you redirect them. Well, redirecting them make it didn't make them forget about that counter forever.
0: It no. made them forget about it for three seconds. Correct. Um, and, and you know, we those of us our age, and I don't know. Do you have children? Bruce? Yeah. yeah. Well, I do too, and uh, you know, my parents believed in a switch. Okay? If I needed it, I got those little legs uh, kind of they, they got stung. You know? And I didn't like that, and I didn't want it. Now, my parents never beat me, as you say. You know? I never had a beating in my life. But the same thing with the dogs, you know, you've got to make it mean something to them. You've got to get it in there, you know, uh, to where they understand what you're trying to do. And, you know, anytime we talk talk about that subject, there's always going to be those that say, you know, sure. just like parents today that think yeah. anytime they correct their child, maybe put a whop on that bottom, you know, that you're, Gonna, you know, damage that kid for life. I don't believe that. <laughs> I didn't You're believe not, it in I raising my kids, and my parents didn't believe it when they raised me either. Yeah, I
1: don't think a, a parent has ever raised a child in anybody's life, anywhere, anytime, that didn't make a mistake. And it's the same thing with dogs. You just, if you can keep from getting mad, uh, hopefully yeah. the mistakes are uh minimized
0: correct okay so let's get back to this nice young dog okay this well bred dog we've got him leading now he's acting like a pretty good citizen what do we do with him
1: now take him for walks in the woods mm-hmm. and and let him see every kind of obstacle he's going to have and don't walk him down the lane don't walk him down the edge of the woods unless you're one of them people that want them to run the edge and then that's where you take them
0: <laughs> All uh, right.
1: if that's what you like and that's okay everybody don't have to like the same thing but uh creek uh preferably start out with little bitty creeks that uh, uh you can get on the other side and don't help him over because he'll come he ain't going to want to be away from you right um uh, and and read the pup uh, rip that i'm hunting now. I just did that stuff. I never showed him a coon. Never showed him a coon tail. Never live trapped any coons. Just uh, about a week before he was six months old, I took him hunting with another dog. And uh, the second night, him and Tommy both struck and they they uh, run split tracks and they split trees. Uh, but he was a dog I just knew. He was going to do it, didn't have to do. And you have to do, you have to manufacture something sometimes and make them do something. But uh, he was one of them that just going to go hunting and going to tree cones.
0: Well, that's the kind that we all want, you know, those that do it naturally. And I was always of the the mindset uh, that, the, the well-bred ones, the ones that are bred like, right, will pick it up naturally, that the genetics are there. They'll come out if you give the pup the opportunity for those genetics to, to manifest themselves. You know, I mean, that's always the way I, I looked at it. I always thought that coonhound training was um, overstated in a way, Uh You mentioned bird dog. There's quite a bit of training involved with bird dogs because you want them to perform a certain way. You want them to respond to commands. You want them to back. You want them to woe, these different things. But with a coonhound, primarily, you want to turn it loose. You want it to go hunting. And you want it, when it strikes a track, to run that track the right way. And when it locates the tree, to stay at that tree and bark till you get there. I mean, those are the fundamentals, I think, of coon hunting, and those things are really not taught, are they?
1: No. uh, Many, uh, a majority of the things, as far as training goes, in a bird dog, you can manufacture a situation to make sure they know what you're after. Right. (laughs) A coon dog. There's some things you can you can make up a situation, but uh, like like you said, most of it they've just got to pick up in the woods or have it naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you shouldn't be. Uh, don't be afraid to use your imagination, but make sure your imagination isn't going to do harm. The best example of that is a a dog I got in here from uh, off of Matney Southern Pride. He was bad to babble. And there's a few things that you always do to stop him from babbling, turn another dog loose and hang on to him and and make sure he knows what quiet is and and uh, that usually makes a difference in them and sometimes you have to get rough with them to make them shut up And uh, but that one off of Matt his foot, southern pride nothing worked and one night I was mad at him and well as mad as I let a dog get me and I, I said man I just think of myself I ought to tie that rascal's mouth shut and uh, I remembered saying that to myself and uh, the next day i said i'm gonna try that so i stopped and bought a spool of yarn and tied one around his mouth to see what size i needed and then tied 20 or 30 more and put them in my pocket and within a month and it i knew it was going to come off i didn't know how far out there But uh, yarn was working off, or he scratched it off, whatever, and it took his mind off of barking. And within a month, he never babbled again. I drew a guy that that hunted with him quite a bit, knew he was bad to babble, but he didn't know I'd done anything about it. And when we were getting ready to turn loose, (coughs) he was uh, inching forward trying to get ahead of me. To make my dog babble, because back right. then, uh, on or before the third bark, you had to track him. Yeah. So it was a big deal then, and uh, he every time we turned loose, he'd move farther in front of me, and I just stayed back and and grinned, and it, he never got that dog to to babble once.
0: <laughs> Did you ever hear of the old deal with guys putting chewing tobacco in the dog's mouth? Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't try that one. I don't chew tobacco, so I never tried it, but I've heard guys say that they'd do that, and by the time the dog got that spit up and all, he'd forgot about that, but I, we don't recommend that man no, method on I don't, this show. I don't think any dog
1: with any brains would go anywhere until he got rid of it. That's right. And then he'd be farther behind and bark harder
0: harder to catch back up but that
1: yarn thing i never used it before and i never used it since so don't be afraid to use some imagination but do no harm just like you're a doctor well
0: they say necessity is the mother of invention you know so there oh you're thinking you know i guess the point number one students out there if you're taking notes is you know uh pay attention, you know, you, you think about the situation and uh, think, you know, use what means you have available to you. You might come up with something that works. Yep. But uh, uh, that's interesting. So I, I'd never heard of that before, Bruce. I learned something today. I only used it once. Uh, <laughs>
1: and and most most, uh, if you hunt in any hunts at all, you should realize right away that minus points will destroy your, your chances of winning. Yep. But most of the minus points I see
0: in dogs are man-made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And, you know, we hear this a lot with uh, guys, you know, I talk about the coon hunters excuse shirt. You know, all the reasons why you didn't win a cast on the back. But, you know, you hear guys say a lot of times, I made a bad call, made a bad call. Sometimes they just say that to cover up the fact that their dog didn't stay treed or whatever. Yeah. But, but, um. That is true, and everything reminds me of a story. When I was with AKC, we had a youth hunt down at uh, all around Athens, Tennessee, down there, and we asked John Wick to come out and talk to the kids, and he did, and I will remember really well one of the main things he told the kids. He said, don't put minus points on your dog that he doesn't deserve. You know, and it gets the kids thinking about that because, you know, kids and well and young hunters, uh, new hunters, you know, kind of want a gun for that first tree or gun. I heard another well-known hunter tell a guy one time, he said, you know, everybody in this cast knows your dog got first tree, but you didn't need that first tree. That doesn't mean you have to take it just because your dog Got it, you know, and is it sometimes those first trees don't turn out the best, you know? So, yeah, yeah, well, that's good stuff, Bruce. Definitely good, good stuff. Um, what are some of the dogs that you've had your hands on that that uh you you'd like to talk about, or you remember especially, or you really liked, or I know this rip dog you got right now is one that you like pretty well. Tell us about him. Well, if
1: if I had a dial, I'd make him a fancier tree dog. He's probably a 70 bark a minute tree dog. And he chews a little bit. That comes from leaving him treed too long in the summertime.
0: Yeah.
1: That's man-made, but that that's the way I expect a dog to stay whatever it takes for me to get there yeah and he could bark a little more on the ground sometimes but if if he gets on a uh and, and he's smart if he hits a hot track and he gets up on it where it appears he thinks he can catch it he ain't gonna bark again till he trees right right and, uh, one night i think about uh he barked six or eight barks right at the beginning and Next thing I knew, he, <coughs> he was up that holler, another 400 yards treed. So he went three or 400 yards without barking on the ground.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, easiest dog to recut I've ever had a hold of. Uh, after the first tree, now the first six or seven feet, uh, He was a handful. Uh, He would bite me for trying to get him off the tree. And I didn't do anything (laughs) about it until he was about 16, 18 months old because he wasn't ready. But uh, uh, just uh, the spinner dog that I sold, Beller, was the same way. You had to drag him the first five feet. And when you got him five or six feet off, just like Rip, they forgot all about that tree. Yeah. You can recut rip from five feet away from the tree. And uh, a serious tree dog. Uh, twice, he caught coons on the ground that, that he didn't even come close to killing, probably hadn't even bruised them. <laughs> and when I got up there, uh, <coughs> wasn't no need of killing that coon. Uh, so I just got him off of it and the coon took off to the side, and I led him about 10 feet like normal and recut him, and he, he had, that coon was out of his mind. Yeah. He, he just went the direction I sent him. I i don't think I've ever seen a dog like that. Spanner was like that off a tree. But he w- he wouldn't have forgot that coon on the ground.
0: Right, yeah, that's pretty extreme for sure. But you yeah. know, you see some of these dogs that you just can't. And I wonder why guys don't train that out before they get to a hunt. But some of these dogs that just want to continually go back to the same tree, you know, just go back, go back, go back, and and that <laughs> my dad he used to say a dog that chases cars is is um, has a mental problem (laughs) he believed that he said a dog that sits there in that yard and every time a car goes by he runs it down to the end of the 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 fence post down there i mean he can go further but he stops and he comes back and that's when he does you know he said that dog's retarded (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, but anyway, some of these things like that, you know, you think uh, it's brains. It's got to be intelligence, you know, in the dog that that knows, say, hey, uh, I was taken off that coon. That's, you know, that's the end of the story. But, uh, well, what what are some dogs that you remember down through the years that you really liked?
1: Uh, probably of an outside dog. The first one that always comes to mind was Beller's Handsome Harry. Okay. Uh, Of any other person's dog that I ever hunted, I probably liked him the best. Yeah. He he wasn't the best scorecard dog, and he wasn't the best coon dog I ever hunted, but he was probably the best at both combined that that I ever hunted um yeah he uh and and i got him i think early april and hunted him for six months and beller beller's one of the best owners uh he he'd call you if you had a dog of his he'd call you about every week see what's going on Mm -hmm. and uh I asked him if he wanted me to hunt him in the hunts. He said, Why well, hell is he ready? And I said, Well, you can win right now. And I won uh, two registered hunts. And Bellard had a second on him. And then I I won five straight night champion casts, but I got beat in one hunt uh so that's what is that eight in a row yeah i think so yeah uh, he wasn't unbeatable but uh you sure had your hands full when you when you drew him mm-hmm. um and he uh somewhere in there i i said uh, are you gonna hunt this dog in world hunt he said well heck he can't win it can he i said well if there's a two-year-old in the country that can win it this is it and they picked him up right before the world hunt, went went to it and won it. <laughs> uh, he, he, yeah. he, come yeah. he was good. Uh, he had to locate. Uh, he might work a tree a little bit, but when he gave that bark, you could ride him down. Yeah. Uh, he was going to tree there. Uh, another one I hunted for Beller was. <coughs> Charlie Manson, uh, not in Harry's class, but a pretty nice dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, they picked up him up and went to the world hunt and got seventh or ninth, I don't remember. Ed Johnson hunted him, Junior, or not Junior. Doug Jackson hunted Harry in the world hunt. Uh, the spinner dog that I mentioned, the best core card dog I've ever seen still to this day uh he wasn't even in the top 30 in coon dogs that i've hunted but uh he he could score points he was gonna probably score on anything they treed and he'd have two by himself almost of course them were three hour hunts in two um uh, beller beller and randall myers bought him and uh i don't remember two or three weeks later they put him in uh uh p c a then world yeah. hunt mm-hmm. and got fifth and then hunted him in the u c h a world hunt and got second um he was uh he he just knew how to score points he he, he wasn't that good at ah uh, he he was a decent dog as far as tree and coons but
0: he just
1: He's like Larry Bird. He knew how to score points
0: when he had to score points. <laughs> yeah, well, some, some of them seem to have that knack, you know. And uh, Well, listen, back in that era, uh, the dogs were not expected to be so totally independent as they are today, were they?
1: No, but you had to have some of it because, uh, there at the beginning, the first 10 or 15 years I competition hunted, um, there was a lot of times I had the only dog that could treat. <laughs> yeah. And unless yeah. they come in and treat with mine, they, they didn't know. I yeah. And that happened a lot. Uh,
0: <laughs> and
1: then you made the transition back. Uh, and that one dog's day, where that's all they knew was the tree, and now we've gone a little bit closer to a balanced dog. But uh, mm-hmm. um, no, it, it was uh, <clears throat> it was a packed dog deal back then, for the most part. Spinner, Spinner always treated a couple by himself. Harry got by himself a fair amount, but he wasn't a, anything close to a loner, although. Way back, 50 years ago, I had a uh, black dog that I bought as a puppy, and he was the original loner. Oh, yeah. And he and the jealousy, he taught me more about jealousy, too, and a lot of it negative. Uh, if uh, dogs come in and trade with him uh, two or three times, it was going to make him mad. And uh, I've seen him many times set those dogs up on mm-hmm. a tree. hmm and then
0: get down and go over and tree
1: to comb.
0: Yeah. Now you I mean, you talk about intelligent animals and this just jealousy thing and all, an animal being able to think something like that through to set those dogs up and then and I've you know I've seen this myself and I've heard about it all my life of dogs that would do that and then of course you got the dogs that would uh, you know didn't like to be hunted with pups. You know, oh, they'd get get them pups and and run them out of the country. You know, get away from them or whatever, or like you say, set them up. Maybe you know. Yeah, they uh, might be really
1: make a match. <laughs> one way or the other.
0: Yeah, yeah, we had a little bit of uh, uh, skip there in the in the phone communication there, but. uh, Well, listen, Bruce, um, once uh, you get a a young dog doing pretty good, when do you decide whether you want to take him to town or not?
1: Well, they got to be pretty solid mentally because they're going to see some bad stuff. Um, That's the main thing. It doesn't matter how good they are. Cree and Coon at a young age, they got to be, ha- be able to handle the uh, the stupidity that you can get in a cast of dogs. Anytime you add, put four kids together, or four dogs together, <laughs> yeah, something's going to go wrong.
0: Somebody's going to say, hey, watch this. <laughs> or, it's like they say,
1: let's do something stupid.
0: Yeah. That's right. Well, okay. So you
1: to I'll, be able to handle it mentally before,
0: right? And and uh,
1: the youngest I ever hunted one was ten months in a hunt, and he won the hunt. Mm-hmm. But he was he was like he was five years old when he was born. I get you. unusual dog. Yeah. Usually it would be, um, I don't, we talked about overhunting a puppy a while ago. Yeah. Uh, almost without fail, they're 15 or 16 months old before I start stringing them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the overwhelming majority of the time that I put one in the hunt was after I'd Put a hard month or two on them. There's been exceptions. Uh, Rip was ready to win when he was a year old, easily. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I'm
0: going to ask you. Yeah, unusual. go ahead. That's unusual. Well, I'm going to ask you for some advice. They're here. all
1: different. That's the main thing you got to remember if you're trying to train
0: a dog. This one ain't the same as that last one you trained. Um, Right. Okay, I'm going to throw this out to you and just get your advice here before God and everybody, as we used to say. My partner, I I said, I'm going to ask you for your advice on something here and, and do it right here in front of God and everybody, okay, on this podcast. All right, my partner and I have this plot pup down in North Carolina. He's 11 months old. He's going to be 12 months old this month in October. He's been in, well, as of today, he's been in eight casts. He's won four of them with plus points, three and coons on his own. I am battling with myself, and of course, it's not all my decision because I have a partner and a real good partner, good dog man that's hunting him. Normally, I'd say that's too young to be hunting a dog in the hunts. Now, he's been hunted in a general area there in North Carolina where the my partner knows most of the dogs. He said, if I know that there's a bad dog in the cast, I'm not going to put him in there. I'm going to withdraw him or whatever. We've had no problems with him. He, he doesn't have any aggression issues or anything like that. He was hunted in two, at two clubs last weekend, the weekend of this hurricane, and on Friday night in pouring down rain, he got striking tree on the only coon that was treated on the cast, and he won that cast with two and a quarter. The next night, he was hunted in a double header, and he went, well, when the hunt was, he never opened his mouth. The hunt was over. He had to drive around. He was about 900 yards and picked him up at the end of the hunt. The late round on that uh the, the the second hunt of that doubleheader, first time in his life he ran a, I mean struck it and run it right, a deer. Now, what's your thoughts about this dog with just that limited amount of information?
1: Um the first part it depends, it partly depends on the pup mentally, uh, how much I would do. I've personally never seen or raised or trained a pup in my life that I would hunt in a double header in one night. Okay. That's too much. That's too much for a year old pup.
0: Yeah um well now keep it, in mind these are just one hour hunts it doesn't matter okay
1: i i wouldn't do that to a pup um the other thing hunting him one and every weekend um like i said before a year old for me is too young to be hunting them yep. five six nights a week so he's not getting the, if I'm hunting he's not getting what he needs during the week. If I were going to hunt a year old pup in hunts, uh, I, I can't imagine maybe once hunting him this weekend and again next weekend. But for the most part, I would put a couple weeks
0: in mm-hmm. there because
1: then you've hunted him four, six, seven nights in between the hunts by himself. Right.
0: Well, he mm-hmm. won the first two casts at ten months old. And and he's hunting in these one hour hunts against usually two other dogs, sometimes three other dogs. But the 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 pup and I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, the pup has been a pup that doesn't pay any attention to the other dogs. If you go up the creek and the creek forks and the other dogs go left, he'll go right. If they go up on the hill to the left up there, he'll go up on the hill to the right. I mean, he's just... And that that's
1: great for a puppy that age being in a hunt, but can he handle a, a cast where all three dogs come and cover him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't know ahead of time if that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, but it, well, now it, he has had dogs to cover him since, just like on that tree in the rain and so forth. But yeah, well, the whole point is, Bruce. I, I'm, I thought you kind of agree with me. I'm, you know, overall, I think it's a little young. I would not. Rem- I would not recommend. I saw the other day on Facebook that a red bone pup at eight and a half months old has made Grand Night champion. Uh, I have to wonder, you know. <laughs> I mean, is this pup just a freak? You know, uh, what, what's go- And and you know, you got to know the whole story. You got to yeah. know, you know. And and I know that. A pup ten months old, as our our pup fever is, would not have been winning like that on those three hour hunts back in the day when I was running competition no. hunts, or when I went, you know, when I went to UKC and through those years when the hunts were really cranking and we were having hundred dog RQEs, just you know, were not uncommon at all. And uh, and all that. There's no question in my mind that it's a lot easier today. Some guys might disagree with me, but I, you know, common sense tells me it's a lot easier today to make a dog, but to, well, to title a dog out than it was the hour hunts. Then. The hour hunts uh,
1: increases the chances of a mediocre dog winning a cast. Yeah. The shorter the hunt, yeah, the more likely the the good best dog in the cast gets beat.
0: Sure, a lot of luck comes into it. Uh, getting that first strike is is important. And this little dog, one thing I like about him a lot is that he is honest. He doesn't babble, and when he opens, you know he's struck. Uh, you know today. That in, in a one hour hunt, that first strike is important. Oh, yeah. But now, when they strike them off the chain, you know, there's not much you can do. Yeah, I've been there, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, well, Bruce, I, I know that you've had uh, a, a lot of success training dogs, and anyone can listen to you for a short period and know that you're. You've got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. What do you? This may be uh, difficult to answer, but what do you think is the most important thing you've learned down through your years about uh, training coon dogs? Um,
1: listen to your dog. Okay. There's a friend of a friend of mine that comes to hunt. Never knows what the dog's doing. Uh, heart of gold, good guy, got a good dog, but, and he'll listen. But he's not studying the dog. You, you study your dog. Don't just listen, study. Now, I can't now because I can't hear worth a darn. But uh, even 10 years ago, if they made a bark, I knew what caused it and what they were in when they made that bark, next to water, in a thicket. But with these loners, uh, a lot of these guys that are great handlers now would have never won back 40 years ago when the dogs were together because they don't know what their dog's doing. But if your dog's always off over there by themselves, All you got to do is know the score and the time and what your dog sounds like. Back then, if you wanted to win like I expected to win, you better know what your dog was doing. And if that bark meant the next one was going to be a locate, I mean, I'd say 30 or 40% of the dogs Will tell you they're getting ready to give a locate before they give one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, a squeal,
1: a uh yeah. different bark mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I and when I needed to, I've treated dog before they barked up. Mm-hmm. But they were going to bark up within three or four seconds. Yeah. Um, and no, that, that was
0: all part of being a good houndsman and knowing, like you say, knowing your dog. I, you know, I had a walker female that had a scream and locate, you know, and you could hear her for a for country mile, as we say. And I used to frustrate this one guy in particular that would draw me in Michigan, you know. But when I'd hear her give that, just that bark wasn't a third of the way out. I had her treat. Well, yeah. he'd say, you can't tell that dog's tree. Those dogs, it's just a roar in there. I said, I'm not listening to that roar. I'm listening to my dog. And when I hear that bark, I'm going to tree her. And uh, just examples like that, you know. And, and and I've said this on this podcast before, but it seems to me, and I'm not out there every night with these guys in these uh, uh, pro sport hunts or or legacy hunts or whatever, Uh, you know, with the large entry fees and all that. But to me, it would be a simple thing. If I knew what my dogs sounded like, just like what you said, for me to walk up to the judge and I'd say, Judge, do you hear me in there right straight north? The judge says, yes. I'd say, okay, go ahead and, tree me right there, tree Joe right there, all the time in the world to make my decision to take my tree, to listen to my dog, you know, to kind of see if he was settled in right or whatever. We didn't used to have that luxury (laughs) because they were pretty much all in there together. And you gotta had to figure out the score before you you had to keep that score in your head all the time, so you knew whether you needed that first tree, or maybe would you just take a, a last just to protect your strike on a questionable tree? You know.
1: Yeah, that that's one of the things that kept me from being a. I was probably uh, slightly above average as far as a handler goes, but uh, and what kept me from being one of the best probably is because I never paid any attention to whether I needed first tree or not. I never took second tree when I had first out there. Uh, if my dog got treed, I treated him. It didn't matter what yeah. the situation yeah. was, and yeah. that and that was could have been a liability. Have, but a, a a good story about knowing your dog. I had one that I called Drum that was a straight chop mouth dog track and tree but he had the greatest locate one bark locate i ever heard in my life it just sounded like he cut a woman's throat a big long <laughs> scream. and every hunt every hunt if he made that scream i treat him yeah except for one tree and one hunt and i was hunting you probably knew aj thompson didn't you yes Yep. And I was hunting against him and a local guy that always had a good dog. And, and Drum was having a good night. And he come in over there a couple hundred yards to our side and uh, made that locate. And I didn't treat. The only time in, I don't know, I probably hunted him in different kinds of hunts, 14 or 15 hunts. I don't know how many trees each hunt, but I treat him every time as soon as he started that locate, except for that one time.
0: And uh, Well, I got to ask, why didn't you treat him that one time? Something wasn't right. Just didn't sound just right, huh? Something I don't.
1: Matter of fact, AJ and Marvin, the other guy, both of them, why didn't you treat him there? I don't know. He got down and left.
0: Oh, he Never did get him.
1: down and leave. Yeah. Never uh, seen I'll him leave done. another tree, and, and all the time I had him.
0: Now, you come out looking like a genius there, though. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> they asked me why,
1: why I didn't tree him, and I couldn't tell him. I didn't know. But something wasn't right.
0: Well, that's that communication between you and your dog that's so important. And yep. I hate to see electronics take all that away from coon hunting, you know? I do, too. I miss that. Yeah.
1: You don't You don't have to be. I mean, a lot of them guys, if anyone listens to this, a lot of them guys, it's going to make them mad. But you don't have to be a, any kind of dog man. To win now, if your dog's always off there by himself, you don't have to know every dog bark that dog makes. Now a lot of them good handlers do. I'm not taking any credit from them, but some of them guys don't know anything about a dog and they're great handlers. Yeah, you got to know the score. You got to know the time, uh, and know what your dog sounds like.
0: Well, there's so many elements to this game. You know, and uh, and that was always, you know, when we said Bruce Jansen is a good dog man, that had a lot of ramifications. There was a lot of a lot of different things that that came to play in that, you know, and. There will always be the criticism of the people that have money that can afford to go more and hunt more and pay bigger entry fees and all that. I mean, that's human nature. Guys say, well, I, I just simply can't do that. Therefore, you know, I can't buy a horse that's capable of winning the Kentucky Derby. I don't have the wherewithal. And if I did, you know, well, I guess I could hire the people that knew how to do it. But... You know there'll always be that factor that's in there, but I believe that the old boys that started this game back in the fifties after World War two uh those boys that sat down there in Alexander City in uh Alabama and drew up the first set of rules and I was fortunate to sit down with John Carter, who was one of those guys, sat on his front porch and talked to him about that and how. You know how they came to 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 come up with the the rules and and all, but that they basically were trying to simulate an actual coon hunt as much as possible, and credit the dog you know for doing the work, and uh, that was the premise from the start, and I think it used and there's always been the you know the. The bully in the cast, the guy that didn't call his dog honestly, the guy that wouldn't see my your coon or my coon or all that—that's human nature. That's always going to be a factor in this game. But basically, the idea was to turn four dogs loose and see which one could strike the fast first, which one could move that track to the tree, and you know the guy said, "Well, the two twenty-five tree points made the." The, out of the 125 tree points made the slick tree and dog. Well, no, the best track dog, you know, should get to the tree first and get first tree if he is a tree dog. I don't know. Those are just a bunch of my philosophies. But anyway, rate, the game has changed. There's no question about it. The game is different now than it was then, don't you think? Way different. Yeah, yeah. And
1: another thing about uh, minus points, uh, quite often when you read those uh, where they report back in the finals of a big hunt, and and it's on Facebook, and you read through there, and and, uh, somebody takes a minus because their dog left a tree, and he's sitting in there by himself, that dog probably told them when they got treed that he wished he hadn't done it. Not every time, but some of them times that dog told them before they ever called him tree that they wasn't going to stay there. A friend of mine comes up quite a bit, and uh, he's got a dog that's a really good scorecard dog. But he barks up some when he has no intention of staying there. But he tells you every time he ain't going to stay there. And uh, yeah, uh, he told me himself that he 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 learned something from that because uh, he he'd say, "Free that dog or whatever," just messing around like some do in pleasure hunt. I said, "You messed up. He ain't gonna stay there." <laughs> How did you know he wasn't gonna stay? Well, he told me he wasn't gonna stay. That's uh, you don't have to have that much now. If they're off there by themselves, there's no reason to take a minus because he'll tell you when he's going to stay.
0: This reminds me of back when I was a young man hunting in the hunts back in West Virginia. Had a pretty nice dog. Called him Rowdy. Hunting uh, oh, up north of my hometown, up toward, uh, up toward the center of the state. And this dog trailed up the creek there. And we were all just kind of standing around there quiet, the whole cast together, and there was a dog or two opening. And this uh, rowdy dog, uh, he located. And I said, uh, you know, he's going to tree right there. I need I need to tree that dog. And this guy goes, now there's a lot of uh, drains and stuff right there in that area where that dog is. Uh, you know, he, uh, he heard the dog, too. He could tell the dog was about to get treated because he'd give a locate or two, but he hadn't settled right in. But he was a dog just like you explained. If he gave those locates, he's pretty much going to be there. So anyway, long story short, I didn't tree the dog. Somebody else grabbed a tree out from under me and cost me the cast. If I have just listened to my dog that I knew, I knew what he was doing, I would have treated him, but I let him plant that seed in my mind that there was a hole there or something, and I was going to end up getting mine. So sometimes you can think too much. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah.
1: I had one uh, many years ago, a walker dog. Uh he's a straight chop mouth dog, but but he had a a good pretty good changeover, not great, but uh, he was a first and first dog and and I'm a first and first personality. And uh, it seemed like <laughs> almost every hunt I'd get a minus tree right off the bat. Oh yeah. But he'd bail me out. He, he yeah. he'd, he'd score three enough coons and First and first enough that uh, he'd bail out that hundred minus but mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't very smart sometimes too
0: Well, that's it and you know once you give through that <laughs> you put that i I had a, a guy's laugh at a, a, another podcast that I did before this one and we had a story on there about junior's dog. And it was an old boy that hunted with us at our club back in West Virginia. And Junior would want to tree his dog. His dog's name was Leed. And he'd say, tree old Lead," And then he'd say, no, no, wait a minute. No, I'm not. He's done. <laughs>
1: no, you can't do
0: that. <laughs> and we'd say, doggone it, Junior, when you yeah. treat the dog, he's tree, You can't take it back. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I did that. I did that with Fiddler a few times. Uh, he, he would uh, change his mouth if, if he was uh, a real thicket and having trouble getting through there. He would change his mouth and uh, like a dummy, I would treat him sometimes on yeah. that, and, and immediately know that I'd messed up.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest mistake you think people make in trying to train a dog?
1: Um and training?
0: Yeah, in getting one ready, let's say. Trying to take him from, from that getting started a number, dog to a finished dog, you know.
1: Number one, getting in a hurry. Yeah. That's a number one mistake, trying to make a uh, gold out of uh, iron uh in a week. That, that's number one mistake they make and that's mm-hmm. what they wanted me to do and I I just uh, they, I they were you. always in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, you can't be in a hurry. Some dogs uh, like your pup uh, if she wasn't mad about being in the box it's one of two things. Either she ain't ready or she ain't got it. Yeah. Because no dog that's going to make a dog. It's going to be happy in the box when another dog's train a coon right over there.
0: Right. Oh, we, you know, if there's a tree going on right there, fairly close to the box. Oh, yeah, she's she wants out of there. Then you know, but she just seems to be content. You know, when she goes hunting, she's just as apt to wind up back at the truck hanging around.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that that sort of thing. It just either, she hadn't seem... ready or,
1: yeah. either she isn't ready or she had not got it. That, uh, uh, I think she may get it. Yeah. May not get it till she was... I had one that, that treated coon when she was eight months old and uh, did a little bit here and there. And uh, I don't think she treated another one until she was 15 or 16 months old. Yeah, and I don't know why I kept her. Right, because that—that's not my nature. I—I want to see improvement.
0: Uh, oh, me not too. Not every
1: time I go, but every week I want to see something better.
0: <coughs> well, I this, kept her.
1: Uh, by the time she was two, uh, that was a good dog.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, two things influence you. You know, this dog is should be doing it because of the way she's bred you know she's yeah 500 with a litter mate and she's she's
1: got a a few flaws as far as uh, becoming a winner but uh she's she's a nice little dog
0: yeah exactly and this one has come so far I mean you know I mean from absolutely no interest in anything out there you know
1: that- that's hard to read too from somebody telling you about a dog like like the litter mate uh, <laughs> Bucky Bucky's got her and and uh, he brought her up I think four times and we always had her with uh, his cane dog and whatever one of mine we was hunting so we had two dogs out there right. independent free and coons. And she didn't do anything. I'm um, well, that's not true. She get out and stir around pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh you didn't you didn't see her. And uh that fourth night or fifth night, I don't remember, uh, we was coming out of one place where we'd freed two coons and she hadn't barked and you know, and he, he says, uh, well, she still got too much puppy in her. And I'd seen her four nights and she ain't got any puppy in her but he was misreading what the problem was. The mm-hmm. problem was two dogs out there are tree and coons and there wasn't anything available for. Them. Yeah. And and they were doing stuff and she just didn't do anything. So we just loaded up and took off down the road and pulled up to a woods that he'd been in before and it ain't very big. And this was this was back there in spring when frogs were working hmm nothing better for a puppy and uh uh we pulled up there and he said which one are you gonna turn loose here because i never turned more than one dog loose in there it was really small 15 acres or something yeah and uh i said your pup and he's all right so we walked out there and got her in the pond and she went out there and stirred around a little bit and started working and just came over to the edge of the woods and fell tree. Hmm. She has been coon ever since. Yeah, uh, she was ready. She just
0: yeah couldn't
1: couldn't handle them distractions.
0: Well, example last night there in Virginia, uh, the he's got a fifteen month old pup that's really doing good. I mean this pup is treed. Well over 100 coons in an area where, you know, it's not thick with coons, but there's coons. But he'll go find—like last night, he went 900 yards up on top of this mountain and treed in a clear cut on a den tree, okay? And it was an obvious den, tree, going, smaller tree going into this den— uh that pup, she didn't, the female, she didn't run that track or anything. But when she got in there to that tree, she was all about that tree. I mean, she was up and down and around and she wasn't barking. He led off the tree and got a good long ways from a tree, 150, 200 yards or so, and ended up having to go back to that tree and get her. Now, she, now she's barked. Treed. I mean, she's treated with the other dog, but you know she knows, and she she hates a coon, but she doesn't have the desire to go find one herself. Is what I see her at this point. May not be ready yet. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're only what 11 months old. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're they're yeah. just 11 months old right I now.
1: I mean, nowadays. Even if they ain't any good, a lot of them'll fall tree. Uh, it's just been bred in them, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. there's there's still there's still pups
0: that yeah you gotta yeah. wait a while. Well, that's and, it, you know. And we kind of have a little friendly rivalry between Keston that has the Walker pup and Martha has the plot. They're both the same age, just one day apart. The pups are. So right now, Mark's doing all the bragging with this plop up, you know. But, yeah. but it, that could change, you know, at any time. I know. But well, Bruce, it's been a great visit with you. We've done about an hour and almost an hour and forty-five minutes, if you can believe it. But uh, what lay something on me here that you've been thinking about or whatever that we can share to the either a story or something about a dog that's that you've learned and you want to share or whatever, and we'll close this thing down.
1: Well, uh, early on, I I found out every dog's different, and uh, that's why it's hard to give people advice on a dog they're telling me about because they might leave out the one thing that they need to tell me. Uh, it can make a difference like like your pup. I'd probably, I'd probably put her in the box every night I went and not let her out until yeah, yeah. until it did make her mad. Because right. if she's got anything in her, she ain't going to like being in that box while something else is. She's been enough. She knows that other dog's tree and Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if she's got it in her, when she's ready, she'll tell you because yeah. she won't yeah. want to be in that
0: box yeah and don't
1: don't break her of barking in the box then
0: no right right yeah. for sure for sure well I think as much as she actually hates a coon you know that's gotta kind of come to the yeah, surface at some point there.
1: yeah hell'll get a get a uh, lead coon and another dog and put her in the box and uh let that dog fight that lead coon right out there where she can see what's going on. I guarantee that'll make her mad. <laughs> and,
0: uh, yeah. Then
1: then turn that coon loose and, and hope that coon goes up a tree right away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Something uh, red hot for
1: mm-hmm. I've never done that, but uh, your pup made me think of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, That's
1: going to make her mad now because if she hates yeah. a coon yeah, 20 feet away, She's gonna know what's going on and something she likes.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she's gonna be. Don't a be tur-
1: afraid to try something different.
0: Yeah, and she's got a beautiful tree style. You know, marks hard at the tree and just you know, so much to like, but so close and yet so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce Jansen, you've been a, a really a, a great guest for our listeners today and i really appreciate you taking the time I, I wish i could slide up there to western indiana and and uh and get hunt a night or two with you maybe i can do that sometime
1: you'd be welcome
0: well i i appreciate i know i would have a great time and i wish you a good season you and rip have you got a young dog you're working right now
1: yeah i got a puppy that uh randy smith let me have and he's out of a hillbilly deluxe oh yeah Um he's he's uh he's gonna be interesting because if you take him for a walk all he's interested in is me (laughs) he he doesn't get out and wander around but i put a put a feeder out i'm gonna put some i had foot surgery I, i just started hunting again okay uh and uh uh, I'm going to get Coons coming in there and get him interested in Coons first, and then maybe the the getting out and looking around I will come you. with it.
0: Get, like you said, every dog's different, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> the
1: eats are different. I never had one so fascinated with me when I walked him.
0: Yeah. That's... He won't
1: go 20 feet.
0: Well, he likes you. He likes yep. you for sure. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time today and sharing from that vast uh, storehouse of knowledge of dogs. And, uh, and uh, I think one of the things the takeaway that I got from this conversation is dogs don't think like people. And uh, we got to learn to think, apply the training uh, to the ways that dogs think and the way that they can can absorb it. Uh, that's a, that's my big takeaway for the day
1: yep that's important
0: Yeah. well Bruce you have a great day and I really appreciate you coming on folks uh, this is Coon Hunter Steve Fielder the Gone to the Dogs podcast if someone asks you where is Steve Fielder you tell him well I think he went up there to western Indiana and he's gone to the dogs with Bruce Jansen have a great week guys